All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Opportunity Knocks, the podcast. I am your host, Dean Miller. Today is, I, I, I say it all the time, all my guests are special, but today is one who stirred up a ton of memories for me going way back to my childhood. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a little intro before I let him dive in and completely take control because that's what he does. So if you're <laughs> ever up at 3.55 in the morning and need a little a little motivation or inspiration. If you ever need a reference back to the old Kung Fu series where he refers to Grasshopper, which is where I think his, his version of it comes from. Yeah. Um, if you ever need a good kick in the ass, a good laugh, a smile. If you've got what I'm going to use his brand. If you've got that true grit mentality, today's guest is somebody you're going to want to lean forward, listen, listen intensely and pay attention to. As a kid growing up, I was a New York Ranger hockey fan. Still am to this day. But I grew up on Long Island, and I grew up around all these Islander fans, and it drove me crazy. We lost in 79, and the Islanders took over. Well, back in those days, hockey was a completely different sport than it is today. And today's guest epitomized what I felt true hockey players were all about. Get in the corner, work the puck, throw the occasional elbow, use the butt end of the stick when necessary and hope you didn't get caught, <laughs> do the right thing and protect the guys who were the quote-unquote pretty boys, my words, not his, I'll let him put his own definition in there, but be the supporting players. And I believe in business, the supporting players are as important, if not more important, than the people who actually run the show. These are the guys who live in the dirt and the mud, are willing to get dirty and do anything to achieve a goal that is bigger than them. And in, in business, I always refer to it as you want to be part of something bigger than any one individual. So when I got the opportunity that this stump to stumble upon me, um, you know, I've, I've told people before, I'm a fan of Survivor. It's one of my guilty pleasures. I love the psychology of that show. I'm sitting on the couch with my daughter one day, and I think it was Super Bowl or right around that time. <clears throat> and we saw a promo for uh, one of the upcoming seasons. And as we're sitting there, you see all the faces scroll by. And my daughter, who was nine, maybe 10 at the time, or probably just turned 10, says, Daddy, don't you know that guy? And we rewind nine times. And I sit there and I say, holy shit, that's today's guest. So if you love early mornings, if you love Survivor, the TV show, if you love that true grit lifestyle, today's guest is somebody who I am so excited to interview. The guy who I'm going to refer to as one of my all-time favorite hockey players, the one and only number two for the New York Rangers, Tom Laidlaw. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Dean, well, thank you very much for having me. Hey, listen, I think we should stop right now after that introduction. I'm, I'm just going to screw it up if I open my mouth too much. That's, so we'll that, but that, see, but, uh, that's what this is all about. We want to fall on our face. And I, I joke, as a football player, we used to always joke, at the end of the game, you look. If the front of your jersey was dirty, you had a great day. Great game. If your ass was dirty, you got you got your ass kicked. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I like to violently fall forward constantly. So and and li listen, yeah. I'm too. I was too short. I was too heavy. I was too slow to become a successful athlete much past high school. Um, I look at a guy here who grew up on a farm in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And epitomized that that life. Tom, I I, I want to dive right in and say let's let's go quickly through your your history until you got to the NHL. We can talk briefly about that because we don't want to, we don't want this to just be about the sport. We want to talk about who you are as a person and as a business person. 
So give yeah. give for those people, those few crazy people who don't know who you are already. You should. Sure. But give give us some insight as to who Tom Laidlaw is, where he's from, what he's about. Yeah. Uh, that's a great topic for me. It's a really like over the last three or four, or I guess five years of doing the, you know, living this true grit life. Um, I, I'm actually in the process of writing a book and that, that process was incredible. And I recommend that to anybody, even if you don't publish it, just going through it and looking back at your life and why you are who you are. And it's really helped me become better. Like, you know, I'm trying like every day now, the focus is getting better every day. So it, it, I look back at my growing up on a farm right outside of uh, Brampton, Ontario, made a small little farm, uh, probably about a hundred head of cattle, a couple hundred acres of land. And my father and grandfather basically ran the farm. Uh, my grandfather was, you know, it's funny, you know, when I was a young hockey player, lacrosse player, getting in fights all the time, you know, I, I'm thinking that's what, that's what a man's supposed to be, you know, you get in fights and being rough and tough. And my grandfather was a, as a smaller man. I was like, I think he's like five ten or something. My father was a bigger man. He was six four, and they weren't those rough and tumble kind of guys. They were the guys that showed up every day. They were true grit men. They showed up every day, milked the cows twice a day. Didn't matter how sick they felt, the cows had to get milked. Nobody was writing some article about how great men they were. Uh, they just had a job to do. In fact, my grandfather, uh, I look at him now, and again, I mean, I always loved him, and he was fantastic and all that. But I just, I didn't view him as this like real manly man, but. I look at him now totally different. He, uh, my grandmother, his wife, um, all the time that I knew her, she was in a wheelchair at arthritis. And back in those days, they didn't know how to treat her or whatever. So she was, she was just in a wheelchair. And um, he spent his whole life just farming and taking care of my grandmother. And then when she finally passed away, he passed away. Like his reason for living was yep. gone. He was that kind of a dedicated man. And I just didn't get it when I was younger. Like I didn't get how glorious that was. And now I look back at him and I go, wow, that's just it's incredible. Like to, first of all, to, to love somebody that way and then to be that dedicated and devoted uh, and just selfless. You know, she would have days where, you know, she was in a bad mood just from, you know, she was in a wheelchair all the time and she would snap at him. And he was like, you know, here he is the one taking care of her and she's snapping at him. But he would never get, it seemed like in my mind, he would never get mad. He would just go over and hug her and, you know, reassure that everything's going to be okay. And then she wow. calmed down and it was fine. So just great men that I was around, like particularly my father and grandfather, it wasn't limited to just them, but. They were really uh, uh, the biggest reason why I am who I am now. So growing up in Canada, you know, you play hockey all the time. And um, I, it's it's great now. We get, I, the Rangers have us out in the community uh, doing a lot of clinics and everything. We get to, you know, teach other kids, like, learn to skate, and learn to play and everything. And they're getting out there at first and they're falling down and they're nervous. But I'm able to say to them, listen, when I first started playing hockey, and it's the truth, I was awful. I, I could not stand up in my skates. It was embarrassing. Um, so, uh, you know, I just – Again, I was just in that environment where it didn't matter how, you know, what I was today, I was just going to continue to work at it and I would get better. And that's, it's really not something that I created, it's just the environment I lived in with my, like my father and grandfather. So played hockey all the way up, I actually played box lacrosse too. They had, uh, in, in Canada, they take the ice out of hockey rinks and you play lacrosse on the cement floor. And uh, I lost my mother uh, 23 years ago to cancer, but it, it was a tough battle, but it was kind of good in some ways. And we got to sit around and tell old stories. So I, I told a story. She denied this happened, but I, I, I guarantee it did. When I was probably like seven years old, uh, we were playing a lacrosse game. And I must have done something to this one kid in the other team. And after the game, I'm standing in the lobby, and he comes by and knocks a soda out of my hand. And now, at that point, I'd never been in a fight before, I think. So I just stood there, didn't know what to do. And everything died down. We walked out in the parking lot. And my mother looked around. She was this tiny woman, really quiet, never swore hardly at all. 
And we get out to our car. She looks around and she looks at me. And I'll I'll temper it a little bit what she actually said. I'll use some better let, words, but she said, "Let it you're, fly if you're comfortable let it doing it." Okay. <laughs> she says, "If you don't, if you ever let somebody do that to you again, I'm going to kick the shit out of you." She says. <laughs> so and I was like, "Whoa, my mother never talked like that." You know, like where did that come from? But she didn't want her son getting picked on and, and let it happen. So she uh, again, she denied she ever said that, but I remember everything about that day. So uh, so that was it was a big moment. I learned to stick up for myself and. Uh, and that happened. So played hockey all the way along. Um, again, just had that, uh, you know, I, I was never the best player on any team I ever played on. I just was that defensive defenseman that showed up every day and did my job. And it just, it led me to, you know, making every team moving up in the ranks. And I finally, uh, they had a, a junior team in our hometown, a junior B team, the Bramley Blues. And I was the hometown kid. So, I mean, I probably was brushed along a little bit, but I was 15. I was playing with guys that are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. And, um, and then so I started that. I didn't play a whole lot at 15. At 16, we won the Ontario Junior B Championship. And um, that really propelled me a lot. Uh, you know, the scouts really got to see me play a lot. I was drafted by the Peterborough Peets in the Ontario Junior League. Roger Nielsen, the famous coach, was mm -hmm. coaching the team at the time. I uh, went there to training camp and I just, it wasn't probably more socially. I just, like I had never been off the farm and it was, you know, I, I may have been good enough as a player, but socially I just wasn't ready. So they sent me back home to my junior B team. And I, again, kind of lucky, uh, Northern Michigan university was starting their hockey program the next season. And so in 1976, that was going to be the first year they had a hockey team. So they came along and offered myself and four of my teammates uh, scholarships, full scholarships to go there. And you know, my parents didn't know what it was. All they knew was that I was supposedly going there to get an education and it was paying for everything. And I was happy because I was going to play all the time. I had some buddies I was going with. I just viewed it as a next step, you know, because my dream was to play in the NHL. And I went there. And uh, so I was a four-year captain in Northern Michigan. By the time our senior year came around, we were ranked number one in the country. So we were really, you know, we had we were good, really good group of, a good group of players, but we just like really, I think that, advantage of start like growing together obviously some guys got weeded out and new players came in and uh we went to the, we lost the national championship game to north dakota at that time so but still we went from number you know the worst team in the country uh in theory to the, the at least tied for uh first in the country so it was a great accomplishment very proud of that i've been drafted in, after my sophomore year by the rangers and it's funny, you know, now, especially I was an agent for 22 years. So the draft is a big deal, right? You know, yeah. big, everybody shows up in the suits and the families are all there and everything. Back when I was drafted, it was actually a 20 year old draft and uh, nobody, they didn't go to the draft. So I was actually cleaning, I was cleaning horse stalls. I was cleaning the shit out of horse stalls. <laughs> and so the Rangers had called my father at our farm. And then uh, he called the farm where I was working. He calls me up to the farmhouse. I'm on the phone. He says, your Rangers just called. You get drafted in the sixth round. And I said, well, what do I do now? He says, well, get back out there and finish cleaning the shit out of the stalls. Good for that him. Was my, that was my draft day. <laughs> um, so went back to school for two more years. I had the senior year that I discussed. And then the Rangers brought me in after we finished. So I hadn't finished school yet, but we finished our season. So they brought me in and signed me to my contract. Uh, went to New Haven and played in the playoffs. And that was great for me just to get my feet wet. Uh, great experience too. They brought me into Madison Square Garden day of a game. And, uh, you know, all the, you know, it's the first time I'm in a pro locker room. Uh, and, you know, just to be in there, you know, and the names like Phyllis Mazzito was in there, Barry Beck and Ron Grisher and all these guys. And um, I'm standing there and they're talking to me and Phil walks in. It's the day of a game. And he walks in, it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. Phyllis Mazzito walks in and I'm, I'm just, I'm speechless, right? Because, you know, I grew up in Canada watching him play in the 72 series yeah. against uh, Canada and Russia. 
and him lecturing the whole country because uh, they were booing him. And uh, I can tell he doesn't know who I am, obviously, but he's talking to the trainers and they're telling him who I am. So no, Phil Esposito starts walking towards me. And like I could have, seriously, that I could have died and gone to heaven at that point. It's just like I'm in the presence of Phil Esposito. And he walks over and he says, uh, Tom, great to meet you. I heard all about you. Uh, really looking forward to playing with you. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like, like, it was so nice of him to say that. And that really stuck with me. I mean, I had other interactions. Like, I went to a hockey camp when I was a kid, and Davey Keon uh, ran it. But I, it really stuck with me because there's this great player. He didn't have to have the time of day for me, you know, and, and it, it wouldn't have bothered me one bit. But he went out of his way to make me feel good and comfortable. And I really, that stuck with me over the years, dealing with kids, dealing with other teammates that are coming up and playing uh, that if Phil can do that, I can certainly do that as well. So went to, went to the minors, uh, played the playoffs there, uh, went back during the summer and, and got, and I, I, man, I, I really had fired up. I got in great shape, came to training captain next year and, uh, and made the team. But it, it is funny because uh, talk about Phil, uh, back in those days, the old guys, they just hung up the skates at the end of the year and came to training camp out of shape and everything. Yep. And we had a long training camp. And they worked themselves in shape. But as a young guy, you can't do that. You got to be there in shape and everything. So I was in fantastic shape. And we're at right playland and having a scrimmage. So it's the first couple of days. So guys are scrimmaging, but they're not going all out. But Phil comes through the neutral zone, and I've got a chance to hit him. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, it's Phil. Like, I remember the thought process, but I've got to do it. I want to make the team. I knocked him right on his ass, too. And he got up, and he was hot. Like, he was like, after the whole place just went quiet and everything. And I'm thinking, oh God, you know, I'm, I've screwed it up. You know, I've, I've you know, hit Phil's video. He's going to want to get me sent home. Things settled down. We go into the locker room after the scrimmage and he comes walking over to me and I'm thinking, oh God, here we go. And uh, he goes, so he says, he says, you want to make this team, don't you? I says, yeah, Phil, I dreamed all my life of playing in the NHL. I'm sorry. He said, don't be sorry. He says, I was mad, but you're doing the right thing. I really respect you for, you know, how bad, obviously you want to make the team. So that made me feel better. Um, and so made the team and there That's we are. Who was, the, who was the coach at the time? Freddie Shiro. Okay. Yeah, so, Freddie so, gave my start. And Freddie didn't, Freddie didn't smack yeah. you around after that saying, what the hell are you doing? No, Freddie didn't talk at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if Freddie – I mean, this is total respect. Because I – and Phil and Freddie obviously gave me my start in the league, but he did, he must have paid attention. He, you know, he wanted the season to get started. And everything. <laughs> but real, real quick, funny story. Like, So you go through training camp, and, and obviously I had a good camp, and, and I was still with the team. But at that point, they don't – really come up and say to you, Tom, you made the team. They tell you, okay, you can go get a place to stay. Uh, so we played our first game, regular season game in Boston. First shift, I'm so nervous. I shoot the puck into our own net. I banked it off John Davidson's leg into our own net, first shift. And John Davidson's looking at me through the mask. Like, like he, part of him just steam, but the other part's looking like, what are you doing, you idiot? And it's, and it's one of those things, you go back to the bench, and it's not a coachable moment. It's right. not like the coach can – so the bench is just dead quiet. And I'm feeling like I'm a rookie in the league. And it's another one of the moments where you're thinking, oh, God, I'm going home. So the next game, next night we played a game in Toronto, my hometown. My parents are in the stands and everything. And I'm thinking, I, 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 can't, I can't let this slip away now. I've jumped all my life for getting here. And, um, and again, Freddie, you know, he, 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 had, he had called myself, Chris Katsopoulos, and Eddie Hospitar in for a meeting at the start of the year. He said, listen – you're not playing the first five minutes of each period. You're not going to play the last five minutes of each period. No, I'm sure the first five minutes of the game and last, last five minutes of the game. Uh, I'm not telling you to fight, but what can you guys do to help this hockey team? So he wanted us to fight, right? He wanted us to play tough. So I'm carrying the puck through the neutral zone. And I posted this on my Facebook and, and Instagram site, so you can see it. But uh, somebody had sent me the video. Robert Picard uh, butt ends me 
Uh, now he didn't do it necessarily in a vicious, like trying to hurt me. It was more like trying to hook me, but I fell down and our bench, it was right in front of our bench. Our, our bench just jumped up and roared, like, you know, yelled at the referee. And I'm thinking, I go down and I'm thinking, I can't let this happen after what happened last night. If I let him do this now, you know, I'll never make the team. So I stood up and just suckered him, knocked him out cold, right at center ice. And, uh, and Daryl Sittler was on the Leafs and I'd grown up watching him play. So he comes skating over to me now. He's hot. He's got to stick up for his teammates. F you, laid on, F this. And honest to God, my first thought is I'm out there on the ice. I'm thinking, I want to get Daryl Sittler's autograph. It's like, <laughs> I was so like, I'm out in the ice with Daryl Sittler. And then I realized that he's coming after me. So I've got an F you fight going with Daryl Sittler and, and after the game, they told me to get a place to stay, so I made the team. But my poor mother, uh, she was in the stands, and this is her first, her son's first game that she's seen, and she's like, it wasn't really the way she anticipated yeah, not, it. Was not the way, not the way she envisioned it, huh? Yeah. That's, that's funny. Yeah. I I could listen to hockey stories and, and hockey players talk forever. Like I told you, you know, yeah. I've, I've had I've had the pleasure of meeting a couple guys who have been with the Rangers, and I've I've done some work with them and some of their fundraising efforts. Um, I got to meet a bunch of them and just sitting around listening to hockey stories. And I've been blessed. I got to play golf with Roger Bear once and, and had dinner oh. with him a few times and had lunch, cool. with, had lunch with Graves in the city uh, two or three years ago. Uh, and, right. and just to listen, you know, it's funny. These guys are pro athletes and, and, you know, everybody puts the spotlight on them and they're stars and you've got to revere them. But in, in reality, most pro athletes are some of the most humble human beings you'll ever meet. And I listen yeah. to the stories of your humble beginnings, as you, as you put it. So yeah, milk the cows twice a day, shovel the shit, do all those things you got to yeah. do. You know, you just got blessed with the opportunity of a lifetime. And dad says, go finish shoveling the shit. Yeah. And, and you, you watch not to knock today's generation of pro athlete, because I, I don't, I don't do that. Don't do this with any malice, but you watch, this is the old guy in me coming out. You watch the guys who played when I grew up and before that, and you listen to the, listen, Espo was one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the game. He wasn't afraid to take a shot at you either. And he wasn't afraid yeah. to defend somebody if he had to, you know, him, yeah. him and his brother. I mean, I, I, I've seen videos of Tony jumping around behind the net and throwing a few cheap shots as well. Sure. Um, but, but to, 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 I, I listen to that humility and it, it means a lot to me because I, I love the stories and I love meeting these guys and, and it, I learned so much from it. It's like, you know, my, my dad's coming home from Florida tomorrow and I haven't, I haven't seen him in six months and I miss him every day. And even if we talk or we're doing FaceTimes, like you got to get face to face and, and, and give him that hug. And that it's like, I don't mind hearing the old war stories a million times when I'm face to face, yeah. uh, because there's something to be learned out of all of them. And I was, I was actually on a call with one of my business coaches this morning and I told him, I said, you know, my dad's got a history and a reputation as being one of the greatest business strategists that most people in the business world have ever met. I said, I can't wait to get face to face with them and talk about it. And the coach says to me, you don't need that. You've got enough of it. I'm like, but you got to understand there's a lesson to be learned in how he presents it to me. And, you know, these are the things that I talk about with people all the time saying, you, you've got to listen, you know, as you and I sit yeah. here and talk and I listen to you tell a 10, 15 minute story about your history into the beginning of your pro career. There is so much minute little detail to be taken from so much of what you said that people can apply not only to their business life, but to their personal life. So let's jump through. You, you, you played, you played in New York for a couple of years. You got shipped out to LA. I keep looking over your shoulder, seeing that Kings Jersey there. Um, you, you had a pretty, you had a pretty solid career. I, I would say by anybody's standards, no? Yeah, I was very proud of my career. You know, it, it's funny when you leave the game, you, you don't necessarily see it that way, but I, you look back at it and you realize, 
it's not just the game itself. It's the work that you had to put in because again, like I said, and I really, I'm not trying to say it to be humble uh, this part because um, I could be unhumble too, um, but uh, it's just, you have to do the work to get there. Right. Uh, and it's like, you know, a lot of people want to be able to get to the top of the mountain. They want to take the helicopter to get there, mm-hmm. but it's that grind. And I think that's really helped me now in all the things that I do, particularly in true grit life and talking to people, like you're saying, uh, it's, it's learning from people along the way. I'm very fortunate. Now I, I get to do a lot of podcasts and I get a lot of Navy SEALs on with me and they, they too, like a very, like they're really humble people. I mean, they're very confident people, yep. but very humble. And when they engage with you, they, they, they ask you, they say, hey, how are you doing? And they shake your hand. They really listen to how you're doing. Like they, they're, I think part of what it is, is you're the same way too. Like if you've accomplished something in your life because you've had to work hard to get it, you've had to sacrifice and do all the little steps. I think you give yourself a license to be a confident person. And then when you're engaging with other people, you don't have to put on some kind of a show to show that you are better than that person. No, total opposite. You want that person to be better. You help yeah. pull that person up with you instead of pushing them back down again. Yeah. So I, I think it's just, and again, it's not just the accomplishment. It's the work that you have to put in. It's the journey. I, I agree. It's the journey and the path. The, dest- the yeah. destination is always overrated. Um, yeah. Because listen, as long as you want to be on a path, every time you get to a destination, what do you do? You just sit down and wait. I, I don't, listen, yeah. like I said, I'm 51. I'm officially on the back half of my life now. I'm good if I make it to 99 or 100. I'm okay with that. But I've had yeah. people tell me all the time, shouldn't you start resting on your laurels? Slow down. Oh. We were talking yeah. briefly before we started, we started going live here today. I launched a whole new business officially yeah. launching a whole new business come come the first of the year in the, in the marketing and media world based off of my experience and the value that this process brought to me personally and my business I here I here I am a guy who doesn't like the sound of my own voice don't like the way I look on camera I'm def, you know listen I'm a fat talking about you're stud you're stud what are you talking about I'm an I'm an over overweight somewhat lazy just started exercising again for the first time in 30 years there's nothing there's nothing special about me here but here i am with an audience of people listening and people reaching out saying can we hire you to do this for us it led me to say i gotta start another business so to rest on my laurels never i think the day that i retire is the is the day before they put me six feet under Um, absolutely yeah I'll, i'll work in some capacity to the day i die whether it be to make money for me my family for personal fulfillment or to make money to benefit the world around me and do philanthropic work. I think you're all, you always got to be working and have some kind of value. Um, you know, and, it, and that goes beyond just your family, you know, yeah. it's, it's gotta, it's gotta be, you know, you, you want to leave the world in a better place than the way you found it. And yeah, you know, every day it gets what, better and worse. Totally. We, uh, I was very fortunate with these Navy SEALs. They had an event called swim across the Hudson where about 50 of them swam from Ellis Island uh, to lower Manhattan. So I, we did a show to promote that. And then they actually had me as a guest. They, they weren't going to let me swim. They thought I'd drown or something, but uh, I've only been out of frozen water. Um, but I, I can't even remember. The, I don't even know if I remember the gentleman's name. He's one of the Navy SEALs on the teams. And he, he had a great saying to me. He says, I write myself a contract every day. The contract says that I will get better today than I was yeah. yesterday. And he said that to me. I mean, the goosebumps were just pumping because yeah. like, it's just exactly right. I mean, and it doesn't, you're, you said it, and if somebody wants to lose weight, let's say, well, okay, I, I know you want to have a goal, you want to lose 20 pounds, 25 pounds, 30 pounds, whatever. But for me, it's more like get better every day. Yeah. So don't just get to the 30 pounds and then stop. Keep just get better and better. The right. 30 pounds will come off, 
but you just keep getting better, better at your lifestyle, at who you are, the way you treat people. I follow, there's a, a great movie called The Act of, Act of Valor, I believe it was, and it's uh, real Navy SEALs in it, uh, acting. And the one Navy SEAL was really followed this uh, this Shawnee warrior chief from a couple hundred years ago. Tecumseh was his name. Okay. And he has to, Tecumseh was a warrior chief, but he wrote all these great poetry. And in one of his poems, he talked about beautifying your life. And at that, it's incredible. Like, so like everywhere you go, like I get in the habit now, like if I'm at the gym and there's garbage on the floor or whatever, it doesn't matter if I put it there or not. That's my world right there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick up the garbage and I'm going to put it in the garbage because I get it. I got in the habit of doing that. And I just feel like, man, I, I get stronger by being like that or helping somebody else. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it makes yourself a better person just by, by living that kind of life where you're beautifying your world that you're in, in, in all different ways. It's a great, it's a great perspective. I really like that. I'm scribbling. If I'm, if I'm not looking at you, it's only because I'm scribbling notes. I write yeah, constantly while I do this because listen, I, I, I tell people one of my favorite things to say is I do this, not for you, not for the list. And I do it for me. I yeah. just hope one person out there gets something out of it. And and I've been blessed that every episode I'm learning how to get more and more out of every one. So every episode yeah. is the best episode because, because I'm evolving and I love that path. And like we said, the the, des- the destination doesn't matter. It's the journey on how you get there. Yeah. Um, totally. I, I love it. So you put in your time, you put in your time on the ice, you step out of the game and you actually became an agent. Yep. How long after your pro career ended did you get into that and how did that evolve how did that happen probably about two weeks we didn't make much money back then i had a young family i'll tell you and that was part of the reason that i was so motivated i there was fear i'll never forget i told the story and uh when you know so my back had got hurt it was a series of years and i knew the end was coming for me but until like i actually went up to rogie vanshaw he was the gm uh, at the time in in la went up to his office the great western forum and he told me that my career is over with i remember walking out of the great western forum and walking up the ramp and I'm shaking. Like I'm thinking, I've been on a team all my life, and now that is gone. And I knew it was coming. So it was more like, okay, like they've always booked my flights. They've always booked the hotel room. I've always I, I knew the schedule. I'm going to training camp in September. All that. And now that is all gone. And I had a, a good friend of mine, actually an agent in New York, by the name of Larry Rausch. Great guy. We, we lost him a few years ago. Um, and there really wasn't many agents, but he was very really helpful for me at the end of my career. And uh, he had approached me about being a recruiter for him. So uh, we were in LA at the time, obviously, and I flew back to New York for the weekend to hang out with Larry and discuss, uh, you know, being a, and by the time I left New York, I was really, we decided that I was going to work for him. And then on the flight home from, uh, from New York to LA, you know, you sit there, you got lots of time. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, listen, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been a, a captain or a ca- assistant captain, every team I've ever played on. I won awards like players, player, unsung hero, best defensive player, all that stuff. I know everybody in the game. I have a pretty good understanding of the collective bargaining agreement of what I don't know I can learn. So when I, on the, by the time I got off the plane, I decided I was going to give it a shot myself. And I often laugh about that because I think to myself, okay, I was obviously smart enough to figure out how to do it, but I wasn't too smart to scare myself to death, right? Okay. Like I, I didn't overthink it. And I actually think that's important business, right? I mean, you've got to, you got to strategize and plan and all that, but like, what's the old saying? Uh, anal- paralysis by analysis, yep. over analysis. Oh, oh, oh. Paralysis by over analysis. Yep. Yeah. So you think about it, you got to think about it enough to know that you can, you know, figure out what you've got to do. But at the same time, like if, if in your heart, somebody's telling you like, and I'm a big believer in following your heart now too. It's like somebody's saying, okay, this is what you're going to do. You got to do it. So I, unfortunately, I had to call Larry up and tell him, and he wasn't too happy. Uh, actually, because we had called Stan Fischler at the time okay. and announced that I was going to be working with him, and then we had to retract that. So, um, but best decision I ever made, and it really, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm a big, actually, there was two books I read at the time, uh, both by Mark McCormick, who uh, started IMG. He was actually the first agent. And I ended up working for IMG, but that was after you know, I get, you know, get started. I read his books. And uh, one of the best things he said was uh, about having a list. And I really followed that throughout my life too. It's like, whether it's actually a physical list that you write down or a list in your mind, you know, because sometimes you look at this, like starting the agent business, like out of nowhere, I had no education for that kind of stuff. I was a player, always been a player. So you look and say, wow, that's, that's an intimidating task that I've got to accomplish. Right. But he said, by start by writing your list, don't worry about the big picture, worry about the next task that you have to complete. Then you complete the next task. And, and he really stressed too, that don't put the tough things at the bottom of the list, Put the tougher things at the top of the list mm -hmm. get those done first. And I just, you know, I just got going. And I, it was really that old farm boy mentality for my father and grandfather, you know, just do the next task, show up and, and do the job right. Like the one thing I talk about with my father and grandfather a lot too, like I use the example of baling hay and you got to load the, you know, now they have these big round bales, but back then they had the kind of box shaped bales and you got to load them onto the wagon. And, uh, you know, as a young kid, I'd be driving the tractor because I, you know, it was strong enough at that point to throw all the bales around. So my father's loading the wagon and, you know, he would stack every wagon load would be identical. They would not vary. And he had it stacked perfectly. And he would not leave that field until he, until he got every bale possible on that wagon. And it could be sometimes I'm going, oh, God, give me a break. Let's go home. You know, But no, he'd have to go around one more time, get 10 more bales on. And at the end of the day, he had moved more bales of hay in the same amount of time because he didn't waste the time with having a half loaded or three quarters loaded wagon. So that kind of mentality, you know, when I went out on the road, if I was going out on the road for 10 days or whatever recruiting in Western Canada, I had it scheduled so that I had the whole day was packed, you know, and I was staying in a, you know, Motel 6 or something like that for five hours with the roaches and everything because I was going to save every penny. And that's just, there's a natural thing with me coming from the way I grew up. And it's just, you know, maximizing your time and efforts when you're out there doing it. And, and you know, I just, and in the agent business, I learned, you know, there was, it, it got kind of nasty where agents are saying bad things about each other, you know, and you've got to be yourself too. You've got to decide, okay, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing in that field of business. You decide the way you want to do it. Now, you don't necessarily have to be different than everybody else. But it's got to be the way you want to do it. Don't fall into the trap that, okay, this is what everybody else is going to do it. So I'm, I'm going to do it that way too. So, uh, and that was the thing for me. I, I never badmouthed other agents. Um, and if, eventually got to the point where it really helped me because I built that reputation that kind of like, well, yeah. if Tom Laidlaw says so, then I guess that's kind of the way it is. So. And, and, and I, I think that's part of it is, you know, that there's always been an authenticity about you that I've known of watching you as, as an athlete and then watching you, watching you evolve. Uh, and, and then learning, you know, 10, 12 years after you became an agent, I was like, holy shit, Tom Lillo is the agent representing this yeah. guy. I don't remember who the first one was I heard about, but I, I remember looking, I'm like, is there another Tom Laidlaw? Is it the same guy? This was kind of pre-internet days. So we, we, you know, we couldn't go to Google and figure yeah. it out. Um, but yeah, there's, there's always been an authenticity about you. And I, and I think that's a big part of, of anybody's success, whether it be business or yeah. personal is, is to maintain that level of authenticity and truly be you know, not to get kitschy or anything, but, you know, truly be that best version of you because there's only one. And guess what? You're the boss of you. You've got to, you know, we, I joked in a coaching program that I, that I've been doing work with and, you know, you're not the boss of me when you're kids is a line you always hear. And I, I said, this one woman said to another client, but you got to realize you're the boss of you. You're the only one who has complete control over that unless you yeah. allow other people to do it, in which case yep. it becomes destructive and usually leads to self-destructive behavior. Um, yep. 
awesome stuff. So what led you out of being an agent? Well, I ended up doing it for 22 years. So I started off late law sports management, I think for three or four years. And I went and worked for IMG for about five years, which was a great experience. I mean, they were the largest company in the world at the time. Um, learned a lot, a lot, worked with Mike Barnett, who was Wayne Gretzky's agent and learned a ton from him. Um, part of the worst part of the business for me was recruiting. Um, you know, it, it was okay at first, you know, and then they get me so many more agents, uh, the inducements and some of the things that people were saying about each other. And like Brian Barrett was the first overall pick in the draft and I was representing him and I didn't approach him until he was like 16 years old to get the same, the next Brian Barrett nowadays, you have to get him like he's 13 years old. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, the whole thing about, uh, you know, you stand outside a 13 year old's locker room and it's just like, Oh God, you can't feel creepy. It's and, a, it's a uh, world know, part, where you me, become, yeah, you become uh, a creepy old guy in the room. Literally. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and plus, you know, so if you get him at 13 years old, he doesn't get drafted until he's 18. So that's five years. And most players don't play right away at 18. Most of them play like at 19 or 20. So you get like, you know, six or seven years there where you're carrying a client with all expenses. There's no income from it. So it wasn't, to me, it just wasn't a good business model. And I'd really gotten away from it. I had my book of clients, but understanding that, you know, that book of clients was eventually going to fade away. Um, in fact, I, I had, hadn't recruited in years. And I, an old player, I, can't, I think it was Pat Peak who played uh, with Detroit. He was coaching in the Detroit area. There's a young player, actually, it was Cam Fowler, the place in uh, Anaheim. He was coaching him, and he was like 13 or 14 years old at the time. And Pat and I had been talking. He says, Tom, you got to come out and see this kid, you know. And I said, Pat, that's, I don't do that anymore. I don't recruit those young kids. But he convinced me that he was a good enough player, and he was a good kid. I talked to the father on the phone. He was a really solid family and everything. So I flew out to Michigan and was watching him play. And Eddie Olchuk's brother, Ricky Olchuk, who I knew pretty well, not not really well, but pretty well, I was standing, sitting in the stands watching the game and he walks by and he sees me and he goes, what the heck are you doing here? Cause he knew that just wasn't the way I did things. And just like you said, just now, I realized at the time I go, I, I, I let somebody else convince me to do something that I didn't want to do in the business. That it wasn't right. And I got up and I left and I went home. I said goodbye to the family and said, Oh, I got to get going. But, but you're right to your point. Uh, you know, you've got to run your life and your business the way you, you want to run it and, and stick to it. That doesn't mean, like, you know, I, and again, I talked with the Navy SEALs and we had a great conversation one time. You know, I was going by the theory that, you know, somebody says, what is plan B? Well, to me, plan B is finish plan A. Right. Uh, now, they added to that. They said, yes, that's correct. But on your journey to get from, you know, on your your plan A, let's say you want to get from point A to point B, uh, you've got a plan how you're going to get there at the start. But that plan may have to change a little bit on the way based on events that are happening to you, so, which is true. You still stay on your plan A, but you have to make some changes along the way. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's a big part of success is knowing when to pivot and, and yeah. not not retreat, but pivot, you know, make make yes. those moves all the time. Yep. Uh, I, I love it. And there's good stuff in it. I'm, I'm always thinking in the sense of, you know, when I, when I do the, when I do the show, I'm always thinking where's, where's the sound bites to put some stuff together. And I'm sitting here saying, all right, if we go an hour, there's going to be three hours worth of sound bites coming out of this, which is, which is wonderful <laughs> because the whole, the whole goal of, of our show, in my opinion, is to help people find those points that really trigger yeah. some kind of massive action. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's one of the lines that, that I, that I heard, I think I first heard it consistently from people in the Tony Robbins world is, you know, learn to take massive action. And I, I think yeah. there's a lot of things triggering in what we're talking about here. So I greatly appreciate you being so giving of, of your experiences. So tell, tell me about what, and I, I want this all to lead up to how true grit life came to be. What happened after you, after the agent, after the agent gig handed for you? Well, I started a company called post strategies. Um, what I came to realize from being in the business world was that 
uh, a lot of these business guys love to hang around with former athletes. In fact, uh, I, the, especially in the hockey world, you grow, you grow up and you're kind of part of the culture is to meet that humbleness is to not brag about who you are. So if somebody doesn't know that you're an NHL hockey player, you don't say, you'll say, Hey, I'm Tom Laidlaw. He's playing in the NHL. And I think that's great for while you're playing the game. Uh, but once I got off in the business world and I was meeting all these people, uh, other business people would, they'd notice that in me and they'd say, Tom, what are you doing? People want to know you. People want to be near you. You play for the New York Rangers, for God's sakes. Like, you need to use that. And I go, no, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. So finally, after enough time had gone by and people saying that to me, I, I just did a quick, I had some time on my hands, so I did a Google search of uh, Wall Street hockey. And it came up with a list of about 20 guys that um, uh, working at hedge funds, whatever, or they had you know their own multi-billion dollar funds and all those kinds of stuff. And so I, this one guy, it was a really, I, I won't use his full name, his name is Doug. He had a... I think like a $4 billion fund at the time. So I figured oh, I'll give him a call, see how it goes. You know, I'll use, I'll use this new theory. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was weird, right? It was really awkward. So the secretary answers the phone and I, I said to her, this is Tom Laidlaw. I used to play for the New York Rangers. I just, I just like to meet Doug and really don't really need anything. Well, she literally drops the phone and she, I can hear the footsteps running down the hallway. And I'm like, geez, was there a fire there? What's going on? <laughs> what they say is wrong. And um, so he comes and gets on the phone. Now he doesn't believe it's me. He thinks it's one of his buddies playing a joke on him. And uh, he goes, this isn't Tom Laidlaw. No way Tom Laidlaw would call me. Now, I'm Tom Laidlaw. He's got a multi-billion dollar fund. And I'm thinking, like, what's the deal here? So I finally convinced him that I was Tom Laidlaw. And, and uh, he invited me down for lunch the next day to his office. And his office was like a hockey hall of fame. And so he was such a hockey fan. Me thinking that I was being awkward, you know, introduced myself as Tom Laidlaw. He was just thrilled to meet me, you know, because and it was because it was me. Is like I was a former pro athlete. And uh, so we became good friends and uh, great business contact and everything. And it was all because, you know, I, I was willing to, you know, say that I was not. And what I really came to realize was, that, you know, as long as you're not like bragging about it, expecting something from it, it's really just acknowledging, oh, this, this is who I am. Right. You know, I'm, I'm Dean Miller, the king of the real estate world, right? <laughs> I mean, you, that's, well, yeah. I'm going to use that soundbite a couple of times, trust me. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, you announce who you are to so people say, oh, okay, that's what he does. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to hear, to hear you say that because I've, I've heard that from a lot of people to say, I don't want to use my celebrity or, or my history as leverage because leverage is so often looked at as a dirty word. But in yeah. reality, leverage creates the greatest opportunities in the world. Look at, look at the leverage I got here. I, I have Jessica Dennehy come in, come into my studio. I realized that Jessica has got a very close working relationship with Tom Keenan, who was my first guest ever on the podcast, never put the two things together. Um, uh -huh. I'm talking to Jessica one day. I see her go live with you on Instagram. And if you guys are ever interested in finding something something really fun to watch and, 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 and empowering, it's pretty much every day at 9 a.m., correct? Yeah, uh, we go every Tuesday at 9 o'clock. So that's what it is. Every Tuesday, yeah. 9 a.m., Tom and Jessica Dennehy, who is an absolute superstar and a stud yeah. in her own right. Um, you know, and they get on there and they talk stuff, but to, to use, so, so I look at this and say, it's opportunistic. And some people say that's a, that's a dirty word and leverage is a dirty word. You know, I call foul on that. That's absolute bullshit. I think if you can use the leverage and you have the right intentions, and I think yeah. that's the key. So, and I, I listened to a story like yours and say, you know, you didn't want to use that leverage because you were embarrassed by it, but look at what you did. Look at the opportunity you created for Doug. I make yes. that one phone call. I, I was just going to say that, Dean, exactly. You know, I look at it now that, okay, he now is looking at it and say, okay, how can Tom Laidlaw help me to get certain places too? Mm -hmm. Because Tom Laidlaw's got, got this access where maybe I don't. So yeah, it wasn't me trying to gain something because of my status. It was saying, okay, this is who I am. How can we help each other? 
in a world and, of mutually yeah. beneficial relationships. And if you can, totally. if you can go through life building nothing but mutually beneficial relationships, you know, that that's Nirvana right there. Cause it, yeah. it doesn't happen. But totally. more isn't more that people, true though? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that true when you build a relationship like this and you and I now are getting to know each other, uh, who knows where that's may go our personal relationship down yeah. the road with other, some other business deal. I've, I've found that over and over where you don't go in. And I think the key too, is I'm sure you agree with it. You don't go in there looking for the business opportunity. You go in there getting to know the other person. Right. And then you say to yourself, okay, then how can I help him with something? Right. I, I need to get to know what he does in his life and what he needs. But if you go in there saying, what, what can I get from this guy? And that, that's, that's, a, that's dirty. You know, yeah. It's, it's dirty. You know, listen, we, we had a good conversation the first time we spoke when the introduction was made. Uh, we had this scheduled. Life happens. We rescheduled. Here we are today. We put this together last minute, and I greatly appreciate you reaching out to me and, and saying, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. Uh, and, I, and I see that I know you've got somewhere else to be, so we're going to start working towards, uh, toward, towards wrapping this up. But, you know, like, like we talked before, I learned a little bit about you that I didn't know. And, and I was a fan. I, you know, not one of these stalker fans, but you know, I'd, I'd love to get you and Maloney and all the others. Work those corners, yeah. beat the crap out of people, get dirty. Uh, but I did a little research based on what you told me. And I said, you know, looked at, looked at your career numbers, learned a little bit more about you. And I'm listening here. And, and, and always with me, I walk into, like, we talk about networking meetings in, in the real estate industry all the time. And everyone walks in and they got their business cards. And who do you know who's buying or selling? And I, I cry foul at all of them. I walk into a network meeting. The first thing I say is, what's the biggest problem you have with your business? And I think, who do I know that can help you solve that? And I, nice. and I think that's the way, and I don't say that for the pat on the back to me, but I think more and more people have to think that way is what can I do to connect, embrace, help the people around yeah. them? Karma will give you back everything you need in life. And I'm a true believer. I'm a, a huge believer in that. So. And, and like we talked earlier, I'm a huge believer in that if you're working hard at your craft and you can really look yourself in the mirror and say, yes, I'm, listen, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to have off days and good days, whatever. But if you really think, okay, I am doing what I need to do to be better at my craft. Again, that's how you get your confidence in whatever you're doing. And then when you walk into that room, you're confident enough in your abilities because you've done the work that just like you said, you go to that other person and your first action is to try to think, how can I help you? How can I pull you up and make you better? Then now you've got that person going, wow, this person's un unbelievable, right? I mean, he's like, I just met the person. We're in the same business. We're actually competitors and he's helping me, yeah. you know? And listen, some, sometimes you're going to get burned when you do that. There's no question. There's going to be something that, you know what? That's more their fault. Most of the times people are going to go, wow, you, that guy's reputation, that Dean Miller, what a class act he is. I really want to be around him. I want to do business with him, right? So, But they're also the I greatest think. learning opportunities. You, you yeah. learn to look inward and say, okay, you know, a lot of people say, what did I do wrong to create that negative experience? Others are going to say, right. you know, look at that jackass. But, hey, you put yourself in the room with that jackass sometimes. So you've got, yep. you've got, you've got to realize, you know, there was a conversation earlier today. I can't remember who it was and what the context was, but it was, you know, I was, I had an appointment. I was late. You don't want people to ever be late. But what happens if they get into a car accident? And the guy who was being the more dominant one in the conversation said, well, you probably should have left a minute earlier or a minute later. That accident wouldn't have happened. Now, there, there are ways to look at things, and, and always, yeah. I, 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 I've evolved in my life after you know my personal issues twenty plus years ago with a divorce, and got got a new vision for myself. And I've preached to my kids now, who range from thirty to eleven years old. She'll soon be twelve, so I got to stop saying eleven. Um, yeah. You know, find the positive in everything. Somebody, yeah. somebody died. How could there be a positive in that? 
relationships change, relationships evolve. Maybe that person was toxic in your life. Who, who knows? You know, addition by subtraction. Right. But I truly believe that there's something positive to come out of absolutely everything, no matter how gruesome, bad, happy, or sad it is. Right. Um, I, oh, I agree. Like, even during this pandemic, like, for me, the, it's awful. I mean, you know, people lost their lives and sick and jobs and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to diminish all that. But for me, the opportunity now, like, it's really been, okay, so I've done way more podcasts now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm finishing writing my book. Um, I'm going around and people are asking me to be part of their company now and, and represent their companies and everything. Uh, so it's really elevated everything I've done because I've had the opportunity to do more stuff. Um, so I agree with you totally. It's uh, listen, the, I, the two things I try to say to people all the time, especially when I'm talking to young kids is two things you got to remember. Life is not fair and you are not perfect. That's and right. As soon as you get that through your head, then when the bad things happen to you or when you make mistakes, you'll spend less time sitting around and, you know, crying about you know, how unfair things are or geez, how could I be that stupid or whatever. You say, listen, this was anticipated. I am going, I am going to make mistakes. I'm not perfect. That's the way it is. And bad things are going to happen to me. Yeah. So deal with it and move forward. Right. Yep. So, so the, in the, in the, I'm, in real estate, marketing is a major part of what we do. So I study a lot of the greatest marketers ever. There's a guy by the name of Dan Kennedy. He's a, he's a legend in his business. And Dan talks about the positive power of ne negative preparation. What's the worst that can happen in an appointment when you go in? Is it a no? Is it an objection? Understand all the potential objections. But to refer back to that dark time in my life when I was going through a divorce and it was really bad and I was drinking heavy every day. And i never forget, I was living home in the basement with mom and dad. Uh, here, here I am just about right around 30 years old, give or take a little bit, behaving like a child. My father looked at me and he says, give you a piece of unsolicited advice. He goes, if you wake up every day and prepare for the absolute worst case scenario, however bad it is, is if you wake up every day prepared for that, you'll never be let down. Yeah. And it's sure. a very ne it's a very dark, negative place to focus on. But I believe in that every day is what's the worst thing that could happen to me yeah. today? If that yeah. happens, at least I'm prepared for it. And it may come across as stoic or, or difficult for some people to accept, but it really, it works well for me. I'm not telling everybody yeah. to do it, but you got to find what gives you that inner peace. Well, and here's another way of looking at it too. So again, we have these Navy SEALs. So they, they go off on six-month deployments mm -hmm. typically. And they train for three times that 18 months they train for a six month deployment. And when they train, they talk about, they train themselves to the point that they fail. They want to know where that failure point is. So when they go out on the mission, they already know, okay, yeah, I'm going to, in the past, I failed at this point. And now, okay, how can you push back that? Or how do you get around that or whatever? So, yeah, I mean, I just, I agree with you. I, it's the same thing, even in small ways. I mean, big into fitness, you know, so lifting yeah. weights at the gym, you know, if I go in there and I'm saying, I got to bench press, you know, five sets of 12, 12 reps, I always try to put a weight on there that I know I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to fail. So that now, I've, and part of the failure is too, you know, and this isn't always the case, but a lot of times, like your body and your mind is, is initially conditioned to protect you. So when you get to that point where it's a bad situation, you're going to fail or something's going to happen, it says, okay, hold on, stop. You know, I can't do anything. So I get to eight reps when I'm trying to do 12. You'll say, you're getting tired, you need to stop. But you can train your mind to say, no, don't worry about the 12. I'm at eight right now. All I need to worry about is nine. Yep. Get the nine done. Then I worry about the 10. Then I worry about the 11. Then I worry about, then all of a sudden you get to 12 and you're going, man, at eight, I thought I was dead. I couldn't do it. And now that has strengthened your mind. And now you realize like, next time around when that same thing happens in some other situation, say, no, no, I just because my body's saying I'm tired doesn't mean I need to quit. 
right. I'll fight through that. I right? get it done. So the same, and same thing with tough situations like your divorce, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's awful. You don't like it, but I got to get up today right. and I got to get to work and get it done. There's things in life that sucks. Life doesn't suck. Yeah, I agree with you totally. You know, I, I think that's the only way to put it. And here's a big pet peeve of mine. Now, first of all, I'm, I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. I was born and raised in Canada. So I'm proud to be a U.S. citizen. And I hear so much talk now, and I know there's bad things going on in our country. But to me, this is a fantastic country. Uh, the actual physical country itself, the Great Lakes, the Rocky Mountains, uh, all the beaches and oceans and all that kind of stuff. It's just, we could just, you could be in the United States and travel around and do all the stuff there. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's fantastic. And there's fantastic people every day doing great things for everybody else. Teachers, police officers, firefighters, neighbors, helping each other, you know, coaches in youth sports. And they're just doing, but it never gets, and it's not the media's fault, but that doesn't get reported. Right. Nobody wants to see that. Is there bad things? Is there, you know, is there racism and all that kind of stuff? Is there crime? Yes. But the vast majority of this country is just incredible. So I, I just, I, it kind of gets me when I hear people say this country's, you know, the reason this country is no good. Well, the country is great. Yeah. It, there's some, there's some bad people in the country. There always has been bad yep. people in the country. And, and there always, always will, will be. That, that, amen. Amen. But, and, and that's, you know, not, I don't want to go down a political side, but, yeah. but that's, that's the reality of it is if, if more and more people should, would learn to focus on the positive uh, and, and find the positive and, you know, if it, listen, if it's, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, you're going to hear something negative every day about yeah. the other one. Turn it off. Right. For, turn it off for two minutes and go look out the window. Yeah, and it doesn't matter who you voted for. Whoever gets selected as president, right. you should want them to do well because if he's doing well, then the country's doing well. Right. This whole thing about you know being against the, the president or whatever, whether it's yeah. Trump or Biden or whoever it is, it's like, you know, I I agree with you. I, this is a glorious life, and it's just uh, you know need more people just it acknowledging that it ain't perfect. But you know what? There's not yeah. many places. I, I don't know if there is any other place on the earth yeah. on planet Earth where you you could live the the life that you have here. But well, let's get yeah. off, let's get off the political thing. I don't yeah. want to chase people away. We could we could do that another time if you want. Yes. Um. All right. So let's let's jump in. True grit. Where did it come from? How did it evolve? What is it? And what's the business of Tom Laidlaw today? Yeah, great question. Uh, and as you you use the word evolving earlier on, and that's uh, True Grit Life and Tom Laidlaw has really evolved over time. So probably uh, about five years ago, my youngest son, uh, Cody, uh, had all, like he was a big uh, follower of all the uh, hip hop artists, like Usher and all these guys. And he liked the music, but he also was really into how they branded themselves. You know, like what was it, 50 Cent had got shot or whatever, and he kind of used Usher and all these different guys. And, and he kept saying to me, Dad, you need to brand yourself and market yourself. And I'm thinking, who cares? I scored 25 goals in 10 years. Nobody cares about Tom Laidlaw, whatever. You know, I'm, that, that part's all gone. I never even, like I said, when he said branding, I thought he was going to get some iron out of the fire and you know, stick it on my back or something. <laughs> right. The old farmer um, talk is coming back out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I said, okay, let's give it a shot. So we got on Instagram and Facebook and, and I didn't know what hashtag was or anything like that. So I started posting. I was up early every day. So I post a picture of my clock. Uh, my uh, my microwave in the kitchen and myself pouring a cup of coffee. I did that for months thinking, okay, this is what you're supposed to do, you know? And uh, people kind of got a kick out of it that I was getting up and I was disciplined and I was doing it every day and everything. But at the same time, people going, Tom, you can do a little bit different. I mean, you don't have to do the same thing every day. Uh, so then I started learning my way around stuff and I, I started posting things. And and as, as I did it more, I got more into it and I learned more things. So I like, for instance, I watched, there's a great... Uh, 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 video out there, this Admiral William McRaven, an mm -hmm. ABC Admiral, the Make Your Bed yep. video. Lots of people seen it, and I talk about a lot. So he's doing a speech at the University of Texas, and it's a graduating speech, and he's talking about the 10 things he learned in his training as a Navy SEAL. And the first one is 
Uh, and again, he's standing up there with a white uniform on and everything. He talks about making the importance of making your bed and making it perfect. At first, you're like, what? I mean, what's he going to do being a Navy SEAL? Then you go back and watch it again. And he talks about, well, if you can't do the little things right, you won't do the big things right. And how important it is that nobody else is watching and nobody's else judging. You're doing it for yourself and everything. So I started making my bed perfect. And I said, wow, like this is really, this is cool. So instead of going for a walk in the morning, I'm saying I'm going for a march. So the idea is I'm getting the most out of each stride. So I'm making my bed perfect. I'm getting I'm going for a march. And it's just, and again, it just evolved over time where, you know, everything in my life, instead of me like flipping a switch and starting to live the true grit life, I just was living the true grit life all the time. That's And that's what it, my whole life is the true grit life now. Um, and the true grit life name came uh, in the process of writing the book. Actually, the writer that's working with me was, he was the one that more thought of it. And I get, you know, he started talking about, I was, I'm a huge John Wayne fan, the movie True Grit. And the whole idea of, again, it's just about doing the little things right all the time. And nobody really, nobody has to pay attention. Like it's not about Wayne Gretzky or LeBron James getting all the headlines. It's about those people that are out there every day, whether it's a father that gets up every day to go be a mechanic and, you know, grind it out every day so his kids can go to school and have food on the table and everything. So it's just, it's gone on and on. And like, and even when like going on Survivor, uh, you go for casting there and, you know, I, I was far along in the evolution of true good life. And I said to him, I said, listen, this is my life. This is not an act. This is not me putting on a show. I get up at 3.30 every day. I make the bed perfect. There'll be no crying or whining out here in Survivor. I won't be, uh, I won't be lied, cheating, stealing. I'm, I'm, listen, I know I have to do certain things to win the game, but it's, I'm going to play as straight up a game as possible because that's who I am. It's about integrity, discipline, uh, devotion, all those things. And they were all fired up. They wanted me to go home and do videos. I did videos of me making a bed and videos of me being on the marks. They, they wanted that. That's exactly what they wanted. And it kind of reinforced to me that don't worry necessarily about what everybody else wants. Be who you are, be a huge version of who you are. And either they decide that they want to be a part of that or not. And that's what, what happened to survive. Right. So, so true good life is all about uh, getting the most out of every day, trying to get better every day, everything you do in your life. There's an old saying, it's a military saying, uh, anything in life that's worth doing is worth overdoing. And uh, they also use moderation is for cowards. And I hate to say that too much because I don't want people that's like every, like whether it's eating or drinking or whatever, right. say, well, right. Layla said moderation is for cowards. So I should just do it. The moderation is more for cowards in the sense that like, don't do it halfway. Right. In the right, con in the right context. Yeah. Like if you're like, and it's everything in your life. If you're having a relationship with your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your children, your friends, give them everything you've got. Like when you're, if you're engaging with somebody and, and you're, you're, you're there, pay attention, you're there. Like if you're at your son's hockey game or football game, put the phone away. You know, like it's that whole mentality about, you know, giving the, that person in front of you everything you've got. And then you're getting, and it's, again, you end up, the great thing about it is that you give more, you're going to get more. But don't be looking to get something. Right. It's what can I give somebody else? It's that 5149 relationship. Yeah. That, oh, 50, yeah, 5149 that you always say, you know what, I've, I've got to be willing to give a little yeah. bit more. You can't have 50-50 relationships because what happens if there's a stalemate? Someone's yeah. always got to be willing to give 51 and what tends to happen when you do that is, especially in a relationship, I've, I've learned this is my own personal take. The more I try to give more than the people I'm in that relationship with, whether it be personal or, or professional, the more they want to kind of, it becomes that game, that challenge of can I give the 51 today as opposed to give yeah. the 49. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it puts you on that path of always, always aspiring to be a, a better version of whatever it is that you aspire to be. Um, cool. and, yeah. and that's, that's, that's great stuff. 
I, I listened. I listened to what you talk about. I see there's a million things we can get into. I love the fact that you brought up the, the you know, the importance in the, of the process of writing a book. I've had people for the better part of the last two or three years telling me to do it, um, and you're the fourth or fifth person. I'm scribbling a list of people here that I know who either have done it or are in the process of doing it. I would love to circle back around with you when the book does come out. A Excellent. A to promote the hell out of it for you because just the basics of what I know about it, I really look forward to it. And I, I think it would be a great read for so many people, young and old. And, and I listen to a lot of what you say. Um, and and I, I think there's a thing where the younger generations can benefit tremendously from the experience of the old times. Um, yeah. but, but there's a perspective out there that, that you bring to the table that I think is, could be very engaging for, uh, for those younger adults. Um, you know, teens, early 20s, early 30s. Uh, I would love to circle back around when we do that, and I would love to get together with you and a couple of these other authors to kind of talk about that process one day and see if we can come up with some kind of brainstorming session, whether it That's be, great. Yeah, whether it be for us to share and post or to benefit each other, put something together so that we can bring more value to people out there because everybody's got a story and a message. That's why yeah. I, I'm, I'm so grateful that I was talking. It would, people talked me into saying, hire a videographer, buy a podcast set up, do this. You know, I, I still don't. Don't, I, I, I don't necessarily enjoy the way I look or sound, but I'm okay with it because I'm saying, you know what? I'm learning in this every time I do it. Hey, we, we need, we just stop right there for a second. You've said that a couple of times now. I know it's habitual. And for me. when I look at you, I, I don't, I think uh, like I, I look and go, you're a fantastic person. Like I've loved talking to you. I don't, I'm not sitting there judging your looks at all. It's, I that, it's that sarcastic self-effacing humor that I always have. And yeah. I, it, it, it may come from underlying insecurities, but I'm not going to sit here and put my couch up and let you bill me 250 bucks for the next 45 minutes. We got <laughs> a little bit more than that. I'll yeah. a little bit extra. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Listen, Tommy, I, it, it has been an absolute honor to get to know you not because I was a fan, but because of the person who you are today. Um, oh, thank you. Because I'm, I'm more of a fan of today's Tom Laidlaw than I, than I was the guy on the ice. Uh, oh, that and, means and, you know what, though? So am I. And that's, that's one of the key things. Like, I, I, I really think, and I, I, I don't want to be egotistical, say, I, this is the best version of Tom Laidlaw that I've ever been, physically, mentally, yeah. everything. Like, you talk about relationships and everything. Uh, I agree with you. And uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it's been a blast. Yeah, we'll de we'd definitely do it again. So, ladies and gentlemen, Go check him out. I'm gonna I'm gonna link when as we put our pieces together to promote this. I'm gonna I'm gonna tag Tom and all this stuff. You definitely should go follow him if for nothing more than to get a little inspiration and a lot of laughter out of it because this is a, this like I said the humi the humility the patience and the commitment and dedication to what you do really I, I I can't tell you the last time I've seen you without a smile on your face and that that that's reason. You know, you know we interviewed Doc Emmerich the other day and he said okay. that too. He says Tom I've never seen you with a smile. I think myself, yeah, you know what? I've had one glorious life. I've, you know, yeah. if it, if, I don't know some more, but if it ended tomorrow, I'd be like, hey, man, that was a great time. Yeah. Every day you look down at the grass instead of up at it is a good day, in my opinion. Yes. And yes. I, I appreciate yes. it. So, I, you, listen, the motivation, you're not going to see me outside pounding the pavement at 3.55 in the morning. It's just not me. But I got news for you. I started working out about a little over a month ago. It nice. hurts like hell every day, and I'm learning to enjoy the process because yes. mentally I need to build a better version of me physically. And that's Don't that's what to look in that mirror. Look yeah. in the mirror through the progress too, but, right? But that's and, and that's why I, I take those cheap shots at myself. It it's not I don't think okay. it's an insecurity. It's more habitual than anything else. And I, fi okay. I find humor in it. I've got a twisted sense of humor. And sometimes, you know, yeah. when, my, when my brother passed away, the day that we buried him, I said to everybody, you want, want to do something great to respect the respect and honor, honor my little brother? Find a way to laugh at yourself every day. 
and find a way to put a smile or make someone else laugh every single day. That will yeah. determine how good or bad the quality of your life is. And I've lived totally. it every, every day since that day. So, totally. Tommy, thank you. It is becoming, it's, it's a pleasure getting to know you. I truly appreciate the hour that you gave me here. I'm getting in under 60 minutes because I know you got another appointment. So I greatly, res- I, I want to respect your time just as much. If there's ever anything we can do to be a benefit to you and your audience, you know how to find us. Ladies and gentlemen, Perfect. the one and only Tom Laidler, thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of Opportunity Knocks, the podcast. I'm Dean Miller, and we appreciate your support, your attention. If there's anything we can do to be of value to you, hit us up and let us know. Have a fantastic day.